1: It's time for
2: Tales of Terror, only on the Mutual Audio Network.
0: The following audio drama is rated PG for parental guidance.
3: Hello? Hello? Stop ringing me, do you hear? Answer me, who is this? Do you realize you're driving me crazy? Who's calling me? What are you doing it for? Now stop it! Stop it! Stop it! Hello? Hello? I... If you don't stop ringing me, I'm going to call the police. Do you hear? The police!
2: Without thinking blindly, I started the car across the tracks. He didn't even look up at me. He was staring at the ground. I stepped on the gas hard, veering the wheel sharply toward him. I could hear the train in the distance now, but I didn't care. Then something went wrong with the car. It stole right on the tracks. The train was coming closer. I could hear its bell, its cry, its whistle crying. Still, he stood there. Now I knew that he was beckoning me, beckoning me to my death.
4: Welcome to Reimagined Radio, a program about radio storytelling. I'm Jack Armstrong. With each episode, we combine dialogue, sound effects, and music to engage your listening imagination. This episode is no different, and here to tell you about it is John Barber, producer and host.
1: Thank you, Jack. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Reimagined Radio. An overarching theme for Reimagined Radio this year is tribute with this episode we pay tribute to women's history month and women in radio there are a number of women whose contributions to radio we should recognize there's actress lucille ball whose role in my favorite husband led to the i love lucy series on cbs television in the 1950s kathy lewis an actress voiced the monotone and unsympathetic telephone operator you'll hear momentarily in our performance of Lucille Fletcher's Sorry, Wrong Number. Edith Meiser, a writer, introduced Sherlock Holmes, the consulting detective, to the American listening public and made him a permanent part of our culture. Margaret Lynch was the first woman to create, write, star in, and own a radio comedy series. The Couple Next Door, a husband-wife-centered situation comedy, 1957 through 1960. And comedian Gracie Allen was internationally famous as the partner and comic foil of George Burns and ran for president in the 1940 election as the Surprise Party. But with this episode, we pay particular tribute to Lucille Fletcher, who wrote radio dramas for the Columbia Workshop The Mercury Theater, and Suspense. We feature Fletcher's two best-known works, The Hitchhiker and Sorry, Wrong Number, both performed for you by The Voices, both considered among the best of radio storytelling. Fletcher wrote The Hitchhiker for Orson Welles.
5: In the days when he was one of the master producers and actors in radio...
1: The Hitchhiker was designed, she said... Not only for Wells's famous voice, but...
5: For the original techniques of sound which became associated with his radio presentations. Orson Welles and his group of Mercury players made of this script a haunting study of the supernatural. It can still raise hackles along my own spine.
1: Fletcher said inspiration for the hitchhiker came during a 1940 automobile trip with her husband Bernard Herman music composer for Wells and the Mercury Theatre.
5: We saw an odd-looking man, first on the Brooklyn Bridge, and then on the Pulaski Skyway. We never saw him again. I kept the idea in my mind for a year or so, and then wrote it as a ghost story.
1: Fletcher's story follows Ronald Adams, voiced by Orson Welles, as he drives cross-country. Along the way, he repeatedly sees a strange man hitchhiking at the side of the road. This man appears eager to meet Adams. Is he indeed a hitchhiker or a ghost? Fletcher never clarifies this ambiguity, and it remains central to the story. Additionally, her writing is natural-sounding, tight and compelling, and The Hitchhiker remains one of the best radio dramas ever written. Wells performed the Hitchhiker four times from 1941 to 1946. In his introduction to the 1946 performance, Mr. Wells said,
6: "Its author is one of the most gifted of all the writers who have ever worked for this medium, Lucille Fletcher.
1: We agree, and pay tribute with our reimagined performance. Let's listen now to the Hitchhiker by Lucille Fletcher, as performed by the Voices."
2: I tell it maybe it will help me it will keep me from going crazy but i must tell this quickly i'm not crazy now i feel perfectly well except i'm running a slight temperature my name is ronald adams i'm 36 years of age unmarried tall dark with a black mustache i drive a 1944 ford v8 license number 6v7989 i was born in brooklyn all this i know i know i'm at this moment perfectly sane That it is not me that's gone mad, but something else, something utterly beyond my control. But I must speak quickly. At any moment, the link with life may break. This may be the last thing I ever tell on Earth. Six days ago, I left Brooklyn to drive to California.
7: Goodbye, son. Good, good luck to you, my boy.
2: Goodbye, Mother. Here, give me a kiss and then I'll go.
7: I'll come
5: out with you to the car.
2: Oh, it's raining. Stay here at the door. Oh, what's that, tears?
5: Oh, it's just the trip, Ronald. I wish you weren't driving.
2: Oh, Mother, there you go again. People do it every day.
7: I know, but you'll you'll be careful, won't you? Promise me you'll be extra careful. Don't fall asleep or drive fast or pick up any strangers on the road.
2: Strangers? Don't you worry. There isn't anything going to happen. It's just eight days of perfectly simple driving on smooth, decent, civilized roads with a hot dog or hamburger stand every ten miles. I was in excellent spirits, excited about the drive ahead. Even the loneliness seemed like a lark. But I reckoned without him. Crossing the Brooklyn Bridge that morning in the rain, I saw a man leaning against the cables. He seemed to be waiting for a lift. There were spots of fresh rain on his shoulders. He was carrying a cheap overnight bag in one hand. He was thin, nondescript, with a cap pulled down over his eyes. He stepped off the walk and, if I hadn't swerved, If I hadn't swerved, I'd have hit him. I almost did. I almost did hit him. Now, I would have forgotten him completely, except that just an hour later, while crossing the Pulaski Skyway over the Jersey Flats, I saw him again. At least he looked like the same person. He was standing now with one thumb pointing west. I couldn't figure out how he'd got there. I thought maybe one of those fast trucks had picked him up, beaten me to the skyway and let him off. I... I didn't stop for him. Then, late that night, I saw him again. It was on the new Pennsylvania turnpike between Harrisburg and Pittsburgh. It's 265 miles long with a very high speed limit. I was just slowing down for one of the tunnels when I saw him standing under an arc light by the side of the road. I could see him quite distinctly. The bag, the cap, even the spots of fresh rain spattered over his shoulders. He hailed me this time. Hello! I stepped on the gas like a shot. It's lonely country through the Alleghenies, and I had no intention of stopping. Besides. The coincidences, or whatever it was, gave me the willies. The thing gradually passed from my mind as a coincidence. I had a good night's sleep in Pittsburgh. I didn't think about the man at all the next day until, just outside of Zanesville, Ohio, I saw him again. It was a bright, sunshiny afternoon. The peaceful Ohio fields, brown with the autumn stubble, lay dreaming in the golden light. I was driving slowly, drinking it in, when the road suddenly ended in a detour. In front of the barrier, he was standing. Let me explain about his appearance before I go on. I repeat, there was nothing sinister about him. He was as drab as a mud fence, nor was his attitude menacing. He merely stood there, waiting, almost trooping a little, cheap overnight bag in his hand. He looked as though he'd been waiting there for hours, and he hailed me. He started to walk forward. Hello. I'd stopped the car, of course, for the detour. I, I realized that he must be thinking that I'd stop for him. Hello. No, not just now. I, I'm sorry. Going to
6: California?
2: No. No, not today. I'm, 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 I'm going to New York. Sorry. Sorry. After I got the car back on the road again, I felt like a fool. Yet the thought of picking him up, of having him sit beside me was somehow unbearable. Yet at the same time, I felt more than ever unspeakably alone. Hour after hour went by. The fields, the towns, ticked off one by one. The light changed. I knew now that I was going to see him again, and though I dreaded the sight, I caught myself searching the side of the road, waiting for him to appear. Night came and I drove on, slowly. I was beginning to hate the car, if I could have found a place to rest a little, but I was in the Ozark Mountains of Missouri now. The few resort places there were closed. I knew I'd see him again, maybe at the next turn of the road. I knew that when I saw him next, I'd run him down. But I didn't see him again until late the next afternoon. I'd stopped the car at a sleepy little junction just across the border into Oklahoma to let a train pass by when he appeared across the tracks. He was leaning against a telephone pole. It was a perfectly airless, dry day. The red clay of Oklahoma was baking under the southwestern sun, yet there were spots of fresh rain on his shoulders. I couldn't stand that! Without thinking blindly, I started the car across the tracks. He didn't even look up at me. He was staring at the ground. I stepped on the gas hard, veering the wheel sharply toward him. I could hear the train in the distance now, but I didn't care. Then something went wrong with the car. It stole right on the tracks. The train was coming closer. I could hear its bell, its cry, its whistle crying. Still, he stood there. Now I knew that he was beckoning me, beckoning me to my death. Well, I frustrated him that time. The car started. It worked at last. I managed to back up, but after the train had passed, He was gone, and I was all alone in the hot, dry afternoon. After that, I knew I had to do something. I didn't know who this man was or what he wanted of me. I only knew that from now on, I mustn't let myself be alone on the road for one minute. Well, hello there. Hello. Like a ride? (laughs)
0: What do you think? How far are you going?
2: Amarillo. I'll take you to Amarillo, Texas. Gee. Hop in.
0: Mind if I, uh, take off my shoes? My dogs are killing me.
2: No, go right ahead.
0: Oh, gee. What a break this is. Swell car and a decent guy driving all the way to Amarillo. All I've been getting so far is trucks. Hitchhike much? Sure. Only... It's tough sometimes in these great open spaces to get the brakes.
2: Yeah, I'd think it would be, but I'll bet, though, if you got a good pickup, in a fast car you could get to places faster than, well, say, another person in another car.
0: Uh, I don't get you.
2: Well, you take me for instance. Suppose I'm driving across the country at a nice steady clip of about 45 miles an hour. Couldn't a woman like you just standing beside the road waiting for lifts beat me to town after town, provided she got picked up every time in a car that was doing 65 or 70 miles an hour?
0: I don't know. Maybe she could, maybe she couldn't. What difference does it make?
2: Oh, uh, no difference. It's it's just a crazy idea I had sitting here in the car.
0: (laughs) Oh. Imagine spending your time in a swell car, thinking of things like that.
2: What would you do instead?
0: What would I do? If I was a good-looking fellow like yourself... I just enjoy myself every minute of the time. I'd sit back and relax, and if I saw a good-looking girl on the side of the... (gasps) Hey!
2: Did you see him too? See who? That man. Sitting beside the barbed wire fence.
0: I didn't see anybody. Right there! It was nothing. Just a barbed wire fence. What the hell were you doing trying to run into that fence? There was
2: a man there, I tell you. A thin, gray man with an overnight bag in his hand. I was trying to run him down.
0: Run him down? You mean kill him?
2: I'm trying to get rid of him, or at least prove that he's real but how'd you say you didn't see him back there are you sure
0: i didn't see a soul and as far as that's concerned well watch
2: for him watch for him the next time and keep watching keep your eyes peeled on the road he will turn up again maybe any minute now there right there
0: no how's this door work i'm getting out of here did
2: you see him that time
6: did you see him? No,
0: no, I didn't see him that time, and personally, mister, I don't expect to never see him. All I want to do is go on living, and I don't see how I will very long drive in with you.
2: Oh, I'm sorry, I'm, I am don't know what came over me. Please, please don't go. L- listen, how would you like to go to California? I'll drive you all the way to California. Seeing
0: pink elephants all the way? No thanks. Listen, please, just... Just one minute! You know what I think you need, big boy? Not a girlfriend, just a good dose of sleep. Goodbye.
6: No! No, you you can't go!
0: Leave your hands off me! Do you hear? Leave your hands off me!
6: Come back here! Please! Come back!
2: She ran from me as if I was some kind of monster. A few minutes later, I saw a passing truck pick her up, and I knew then that I was utterly alone. I was in the heart of the great Texas prairies, I was in a car on the road after the truck went by. I tried to figure out what to do, how to get a hold of myself, if I could find a place to rest, or even if I could sleep right here in the car, just a few hours get some sleep just along the side of the road I was I was getting my winter overcoat out of the back seat to use as a blanket just as a blanket Hello. and I saw him coming toward me Hello. coming toward me emerging from the open prairie where only a moment earlier he was unseen Hello. I didn't wait for him to get any closer Maybe I should have spoken to him then. Fought it out then and there, but I didn't. I kept driving, trying to lose him, but he was everywhere. Whenever I stopped, even for a minute, for gas, for oil, for a drink of pop, a cup of coffee, a sandwich, he was there. I saw him standing outside the auto camp in Amarillo that night when I dared to slow down. He was standing near the drinking fountain in a little camping spot just inside the border of New Mexico. He was waiting for me. Outside the Navajo reservation, where I stopped to check my tires. I saw him in Albuquerque, where I bought 10 gallons of gas. I was afraid now. Afraid to stop. I began to drive faster and faster. I was in a lunar landscape now, the great arid Mesa country of New Mexico. I drove through it with the indifference of a fly crawling over the face of the moon. I drove at 85 miles an hour over those endless roads. He waited for me at every other mile. I could see his figure, shadowless, flitting before me, still in its same attitude over the still and lifeless ground, flitting over dried up rivers, over broken stones cast up by old glacial upheavals, flitting in the pure and cloudless air. I was beside myself, beside myself when I finally reached Gallup, New Mexico. This morning, I, I found its auto camp, it's cold, almost deserted. I went inside and asked if there was a telephone. I had the feeling that if I could speak to somebody familiar, somebody that I loved, I, I could pull myself together. Number, please. Long distance, I'd like to put in a call to my home in Brooklyn, New York. I'm Ronald Adams. The number is Beechwood 9970. Thank you. I'll connect your call. I'd read somewhere that love could banish demons. It was in the middle of the morning. I knew Mother'd be home. I pictured her tall, white-haired in her crisp house-dress, going about her tasks. It'd be enough, I thought, just to hear the even calmness of her voice. Will you please deposit... Hello? Hello. Mrs. Adams' residence. Hello. Mother? This
3: is Mrs. Adams' residence.
2: Who do you wish to speak to, please? Who's this? This is Mrs. Whitney. Mrs. Whitney? Well, I don't know any Mrs. Whitney. Is this Beechwood 9970? Yes. Where is my mother? Where is Mrs. Adams?
3: Mrs. Adams is not at home. She's still in the hospital.
2: The hospital? She in the hospital for? She's been prostrated for five days. A nervous breakdown. Who is this calling? Nervous breakdown. My mother doesn't have a nervous. It's all taken place since the death of her oldest son, Ronald. The death of her oldest son, Ronald. Hey, what is this? What number is this?
3: this- accident on the Brooklyn Bridge. Your three minutes
7: are up, sir. Please deposit more money if you wish to continue talking. Your three minutes are up.
2: And so I'm sitting here in this nearly deserted auto camp in Gallup, New Mexico. I'm trying to think trying to get a hold of myself. Otherwise... Otherwise I'll go crazy. Outside it is night. The vast, soulless night of New Mexico. A million stars are in the sky. Ahead of me stretch a thousand miles of empty mesa and mountains. Prairies. Desert. Somewhere among them... He is waiting for me, somewhere, somewhere I shall meet him and know who he is and who I am.
1: This is Reimagined Radio with our Lucille Fletcher tribute. You have just listened to The Voices and their performance of The Hitchhiker, written by Lucille Fletcher. You heard Sam A. Mowry as Ronald Adams, Jody Lorimer as Mrs. Adams and the telephone operator, Mark Rose as the male hitchhiker, Miranda Markey as the female hitchhiker, and Patricia Blem as Mrs. Whitney. I'm John Barber, producer and host. We'll be right back with another of Fletcher's outstanding radio dramas after this short break. Reimagined Radio partners with other radio programs to bring you the best in radio storytelling. One of our partner programs is The Fuse Box Show. Freeform but focused, appropriate for all age groups and audiences. Fusebox shares observations and reactions to events that both stir our imagination and boil our blood. Here's a sample. Fusebox.
6: Are those the
4: actual sounds
6: of uh, catfish there?
8: Uh, Yes. Uh,
4: Usually, you have to squeeze them a bit to get that sound out of them. You uh, do a lot
8: of catfish
4: squeezing, do you? Only on the second date, Mr. Keynes.
8: What's the weirdest thing you ever put in your mouth?
3: Oh, I just thought about this recently, too. I'm not
4: kidding. We're just as happy as a bevy of Turkish aqua gophers on a slip and slide.
1: Learn more at the Fusebox Show website, www.thefuseboxshow.com. This is Reimagined Radio, and we are paying tribute to Women's History Month and Lucille Fletcher perhaps the greatest woman radio storyteller. Fletcher is best known for her gripping thriller, Sorry, Wrong Number. First broadcast on 25 May, 1943, as an episode of Suspense starring Agnes Moorhead, this is the benchmark for radio drama, according to Orson Welles, who called Sorry, Wrong Number...
6: The greatest single radio script
1: ever written. Sorry, wrong number concerns a bedridden woman who depends on the telephone for a lifeline to the outside world. While calling her husband, she is connected into a conversation between two men, apparently plotting a murder later that evening. How will she convince anyone of the danger? Everyone she calls refuses to take her fears seriously. The drama becomes a critical examination of the telephone, a device which, although it allows people to connect, does not necessarily allow them to communicate as we did for the hitchhiker we present a reimagined adaptation of this outstanding radio drama by Lucille Fletcher let's listen now to the voices performing sorry wrong number
3: dear. Your call, please. Operator, I've been dialing Murray Hill 70093 now for the last three quarters of an hour, and the line is always busy. I don't see how it could be busy that long. Will you try it for me, please?
7: I will be glad to try that number for you. One moment, please.
3: I don't see how it could be busy all this time. It's my husband's office. He's working late, and I'm all alone here in the house. My health is very poor, and I've been feeling so nervous all day.
7: Ringing Murray Hill, 70093.
3: Hello? Hello. Is... is Mr. Stevenson there?
6: This is George speaking.
3: Hello, who is this? What number am I calling, please?
6: I'm, uh, here with our client. Oh, good. Everything okay? Is the coast clear for tonight? Yeah, George. He says the coast is clear for tonight. Okay. Okay. Where are you now? I'm in a phone booth. Don't worry. Everything's okay. Very well. You know the address? Yeah, yeah. I know. At 11 o'clock, the private patrolman goes around to the bar on 2nd Avenue for a beer. That's right. At 11 o'clock. I'll make sure that all the lights downstairs are out. And there should only be one light visible from the street. Yeah, yeah. I know. At 1115, the train crosses the bridge. It makes a noise in case a window's open and she should scream.
3: Ooh! Uh, hello? What number is this, please? Okay,
6: I understand. I tell you, that's 1115, the train. Yeah, you remember everything else, George? Yeah, yeah, I make it quick. As little blood as possible. <gasps> because a client does not wish to make her suffer long.
4: <laughs> that's right,
6: you'll uh, use a knife. Yeah, a knife will be okay, and afterwards I remove. The rings and the bracelets and the jewelry in the bureau drawer because our client wishes it to look like simple robbery. Don't worry. Everything's okay. I never make a...
3: Oh, how awful. How unspeakably awful. Call operator.
7: Your call, please.
3: Operator, I've just been cut off. I'm
7: sorry. What number were you calling?
3: Why, it was supposed to be Murray Hill 70093, but it wasn't. Some wires must have crossed. I was cut into a wrong number, and I... I uh, I heard the most dreadful thing. Something about a... a murder and... A, oh, operator, you simply have to retrace that call at once.
7: I beg your pardon? May
3: I help you? Oh, I know it was a wrong number, and I had no business listening, but these two men... They were cold-blooded fiends, and they were going to m- murder somebody, some poor, innocent woman who was all alone in a house near a bridge. And, and, and We've got to stop this. We've got to stop them. Uh,
7: what number were you calling, please?
3: Well, that doesn't matter. This was a wrong number, and you dialed it for me. And we've got to find out what it was immediately.
7: What number did you call?
3: Oh, why are you so stupid? You mean to tell me you can't find out what that number was just now? I'm sorry. Oh, I think it's perfectly shameful. Now look, look. It was obviously a case of some little slip of the finger. I told you to try Murray Hill 70093 for me. You dialed it, but your finger must have slipped and it was connected with some other number. I could hear them, but they couldn't hear me. Now, I I simply fail to see why you couldn't make that same mistake again on purpose. Why you couldn't try to dial Murray Hill 70093 in that same sort of careless way.
7: Murray Hill 70093? Yes! I'll try to get it for you.
3: Well, thank you.
7: I'm sorry. Murray Hill 70093 is busy. I'll call you in 20 minutes.
3: Operator? 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 Operator?
7: Your call, please.
3: You didn't try to get that wrong number at all. I asked you explicitly, and all you did was dial correctly.
7: I'm sorry. What number are you calling?
3: Well, can't you for once forget what number I'm calling and do something for me? Now, I want to trace that call. It's our civic duty to trace that call and to apprehend those dangerous killers. And if you won't...
7: How
5: can I help you?
3: Uh, dear, I, dear, I want you to trace a call, a telephone call, immediately. I don't know where it came from or who was making it, but it's absolutely necessary that it be tracked down. Because it was about a murder that someone's planning. A, a, a terrible, cold-blooded murder of a poor, innocent woman tonight at 11.15. I see. Well, can you trace it for me? Can you track down those men?
7: I can try tracing it. May I have your name, please?
3: Mrs. Stevenson. Mrs. Albert Stevenson. But listen...
7: And your telephone number, please.
3: Plaza Four Two Two Nine Five. But if you go on wasting all this time... Why
7: do you want this call traced,
3: please? What? I, well, no reason. I, I mean, I merely felt very strongly that something ought to be done about it. These men sounded like killers. They're dangerous. They're going to murder this woman at 11.15 tonight, and I thought the police ought to know. Have you reported this to the police? Well, no, not yet.
7: I'm sorry, Mrs. Stevenson, but I'm afraid we couldn't make this check for you and trace the call just on your say-so as a private individual. We'd have to have something more
3: official. Oh, for heaven's sake! You mean to tell me I can't report that there's going to be a murder without getting tied up in all this red tape? Why, it's absolutely idiotic. Well, all right. Can you connect me with the police? One moment, please. Ridiculous. Perfectly ridiculous. The thought of it. I don't see why I have to go to all this trouble. Oh, dear. Do you have to dial? Can't you ring them direct?
7: Ringing the police department.
3: Oh, what can be the matter? Why don't they answer? The very idea of this inconvenience.
8: Police station, 43rd Precinct. Sergeant
3: Martin speaking. Police department? Uh, this is Mrs. Stevenson. Mrs. Albert Smythe Stevenson a 53 North Sutton Place. I'm calling up to report a murder. I I mean, the murder hasn't been committed yet, but I just overheard plans for it over the telephone, over a wrong number that the operator gave me. I've been trying to trace down the call myself, but everybody is so stupid, and I guess in the end, you're the only people who can do anything. Yes,
8: ma'am.
3: It was a perfectly definite murder. I heard their plans distinctly. Two men were talking, and they were going to murder some woman at 11.15 tonight. She lived in a house near a bridge. Are... Are you listening to me?
8: Yes, yes, ma'am.
3: And there was a private patrolman on the street. He was going to go around for a beer on 2nd Avenue. And there was a third man, a client, who was paying to have this poor woman murdered. They were going to take her rings and bracelets and use a knife and what... Oh, it's... It's unnerved me dreadfully. And I'm not well. And I feel so nervous.
8: I see. Uh, ma'am, when was all this?
3: About eight minutes ago. Then you can do something. Oh, you do understand.
8: What is your name, ma'am?
3: I just told you that. Mrs. Stevenson. Mrs. Albert Stevenson.
8: And, uh, your address?
3: I told you that also. 5353 53 Sutton Place. That's near a bridge. The Queensborough Bridge, you know. And. And. And we have a private patrolman on our street and. 2nd Avenue.
8: And, uh, what was the number you were
3: calling? Uh, Marie Hill 70093. But that wasn't the number I overheard. I. I, I mean, Marie Hill 70093 is my husband's office. He's working late tonight, and I was trying to reach him to ask him to come home. I'm an invalid, you know, and, and, and it's the maid's night off, and oh, I hate to be alone, even though he says I'm perfectly safe as long as I have the telephone right beside my bed.
8: Okay, well, we'll, we'll look into it, Mrs. Stevenson, and see if we can check it with the phone
3: company. Personally, I feel you ought to do something far more immediate and drastic than just check the call. By the time you track it down, they'll already have committed the murder.
8: We'll, we'll take care of it. Don't you
3: worry. Well, I'd say the whole thing calls for a search. A complete and thorough search of the whole city. Now, I'm very near the bridge, and I'm not far from 2nd Avenue. And I know I'd feel a whole lot better if you sent around a radio car to this neighborhood at once. Uh,
8: ma'am, what makes you think the murder is going to be committed in your neighborhood?
3: Well, I... Oh, I don't know. Only the coincidence is so horrible. 2nd Avenue, the patrolman, the, the bridge. I heard it on the telephone.
8: Yeah, telephones are funny things. Look, ma'am, why don't you look at it this way? Supposing you hadn't broken in on that telephone call, okay? Now, supposing you got your husband the way you always do, you wouldn't be so upset, would you?
3: Well, no. I suppose not. Only it sounded so inhuman. Ma'am. So cold-blooded.
8: Ma'am. A clue like this is is so vague, it isn't much more use to us than no clue at all. But surely you... Unless, of course, you have some reason for thinking this call was phony and that someone may be planning to murder you.
3: Me? Oh! Oh, no! No! I hardly think so. I mean, mean, why should anybody? I'm alone all day and night. I see nobody except my maid Eloise and my husband Elbert. He's crazy about me. He he just adores me. He waits on me hand and foot, and he scarcely left my side since I took sick, well, 12 years ago.
8: Well, then there's nothing for you to worry about. Now, ma'am, if you'll just leave the rest to us, we'll take care of it.
3: But what will you do? It's so late, it's nearly 11 now.
8: Ma'am, we'll take care of
3: it. Will you broadcast it all over the city? And send out squads? And warn your radio cars to watch out, especially in suspicious neighborhoods like mine.
8: Ma'am, I... Ma'am, I said we'd take care of it. Just now, I've got a couple of other matters here on my desk that require my immediate attention. Now, good night, and thank you.
5: Oh, you...
3: you... idiot! Oh, now... Why did I hang up the phone like that? He'll think I'm a fool. Oh, why doesn't Albert come home? Why doesn't he? Oh, why doesn't he? Operator, for heaven's sake, will you ring that Murray Hill 70093 number again? I can't think what's keeping him so long.
7: I will try it for you. I'm sorry. Murray Hill 70093
3: is busy. I I can hear it. You don't have to tell me. I know it's busy. If I could only get out of this bed for a little while if i could if i could get a breath of fresh airs just lean out the window and see the street hello elbert hello 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 oh what's the matter with this phone hello 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 Hello? Oh, for heaven's sake, who is this? Hello? 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 Oh, who's trying to call me? Oh, why doesn't she answer?
7: Your call, please.
3: Hello, operator? I don't know what's the matter with this telephone tonight, but it's positively driving me crazy. I've never seen such inefficient, miserable service. Now, now look. I am an invalid, and I'm very nervous, and I'm not supposed to be annoyed. But, but if this keeps on much longer...
7: What seems to be the trouble, please?
3: Well, everything's wrong. I haven't had one bit of satisfaction out of one phone call I've made this evening. The whole world could be murdered for all you people care. And now my phone keeps ringing and ringing and ringing and ringing every five seconds. And when I pick it up, there's no one there.
7: I'm sorry. If you will hang up, I will test your phone for
3: you. Test it? Test it? Young woman, I don't know your name, but there are ways of finding you out. And I'm going to report you to your superiors for the most unpardonable rudeness and insolence has ever been my privilege. Give me the business office at once.
7: You may dial that number direct.
3: Dial it direct? I'll do no such thing. I don't even know the number.
7: The number is in the directory, or you may secure it by dialing information.
3: Listen here, you. Oh, what's the use? Oh, for heaven's sake, I'm going out of my mind. Out of my... Hello? Hello? Stop ringing me, do you hear? Answer me, who is this? Do you realize you're driving me crazy? Who's calling me? What are you doing it for? Now stop it, stop it, stop it. Hello? Hello? I, if you don't stop ringing me, I'm going to call the police, do you hear? The police! Oh, if elder would only come home! <gasps> oh, let it ring. Let it go on ringing. It's a trick of some kind. I won't answer it. I won't. I won't. I won't. I won't. Even if it goes on ringing all night. Oh, you ring. You go ahead and ring. Stopped. Well, now now what's the matter? Why did they stop ringing all of a sudden? What time is it? Where did I put that that clock? Oh, 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 here it is. Here it is. Five to eleven. Oh, they've decided something. They're sure I'm home. They heard my voice answer them just now. That's why they've been ringing me. Why, no one has answered me. I'll call the operator again. Why doesn't she answer? Why doesn't she answer?
7: Your call, please.
3: Where were you just now? Why didn't you answer at once? Give me the police department.
7: I'm sorry, the line is busy. I will call you... Busy?
3: But that's impossible. The police department can't be busy. There must be other lines available.
7: The line is busy. I will try to get them for you later. No, no.
3: I've got to speak to them now, or it may be too late. I've got to talk to someone.
7: What number do you wish to speak
3: to? I don't know. But there must be someone to protect people beside the police department. Uh, A detective agency.
7: You will find agencies listed in the classified directory.
3: But I don't have a classified. I I mean, I'm too nervous to look it up and I, I don't know how to use the... I'll
7: connect you with information. Perhaps she will be able to help you.
3: You're just being spiteful, aren't you? You don't care, do you, what happens to me? I could die and you wouldn't care. Oh, stop it, stop it, stop it, stop it. I can't stand it anymore. Hello, what do you want? Stop ringing, will you? Stop it. Hello,
6: is this Plaza 42295?
3: Yes, yes, I... I, uh, I, I'm sorry, this... This is Plaza 42295?
6: This is Western Union. I have a telegram here for uh, Mrs. Elbert Stevenson. Is there anyone there to uh, receive the message? I'm...
3: I'm Mrs. Stevenson.
6: The uh, telegram is as follows. Mrs. Elbert Stevenson, 53 North Sutton Place, New York, New York. Darling, terribly sorry. Tried to get you for last hour, but line busy. Leaving for Boston, 11 p.m. tonight on urgent business. Back tomorrow afternoon. Keep happy. Love. Signed, Albert. Oh, no. Uh, Do you wish us to deliver a copy of the message?
3: No. No, thank you.
6: Thank you, madam. Good night.
3: Good night. Oh, no. No, no. I don't believe it. He couldn't do it. He couldn't do it now, and he knows I'm all alone. It's some trick. Some fiendish trick. Oh. Maria. Hill. Yeah. Seven. Oh, dear. Zero. Zero. Uh, nine, Uh, three, gone. He's gone. Oh, Albert. How could you? How could you? I... I can't be alone tonight, I can't. If I'm alone one more second, I'll go mad. Oh, I don't care what he says. Or what the expense is. I'm a sick woman. I'm entitled. I'm entitled.
0: Hospital. Good evening.
3: Put me through to the nurse's registry immediately.
0: Who was it you wish to speak to,
3: please? I want the nurse's registry at once. I want a trained nurse. I want to hire her immediately for the night.
0: I see. And what is the nature of the case, madam?
3: Nerves. I'm very nervous. I need soothing companionship. You see, my husband is away, and I'm...
0: Have you been recommended to us by any doctor in particular,
3: madam? No. No. But I really don't see why all these questions are necessary. I just want a trained nurse. I was a patient in your hospital two years ago. And after all, I do expect to pay this person for attending me.
0: We quite understand that, madam. But these are hard times, you know. Well... Registered nurses are very scarce just now. And... Our superintendent has asked us to send people out only on cases where the physician in charge feels that it is absolutely necessary.
3: Well, it is absolutely necessary. I'm a sick woman, and I'm, I'm very upset. Very. I'm alone in this house, and I am an invalid, and, and tonight I, I overheard a telephone conversation that upset me dreadfully. In fact, if someone doesn't come at once, I'm afraid I'll go out of my mind. What time is it?
0: Just 15 minutes
7: past 11.
3: Past 11 o'clock? But it's not 11 yet. Oh, oh my clock has stopped.
0: I thought it was running
3: down. What time is it? Whoa. What was that?
0: What was what, madam?
3: That... that click. Just now. In my own telephone as though someone had lifted the receiver off the hook of the extension telephone downstairs.
0: Well, I didn't hear it, madam. Now, about this... But I did!
3: There's someone in this house! Someone downstairs in the kitchen! And they're they're listening to me now! They're... (gasps) I won't pick it up! I I won't won't let them hear me! I'll be quiet and I'll think... (gasps) Oh... But if I don't call someone now, while they're down there, there'll be no time.
7: Your call, please. Operator.
3: Operator. I'm in desperate trouble. I'm sorry,
7: I cannot hear you. Please speak louder.
3: I don't dare. There's someone listening. Can you hear me now? I'm sorry. But you've got to hear me. Oh, please, you've got to help me. There's someone in this house, someone who's going to murder me. And you've got to get in touch with oh, there it is. There it is, didn't you hear it? He's put it down. He's put down the extension phone. He's coming up. He's coming up the stairs? Get me the police department! The police department! Police department! Give it to me! One moment, please. I will connect you. I, I can hear it. near. Oh, mirror. Oh, hurry, please. Oh, here am I hear him. I hear him. hurry, hurry. hurry.
8: Martin speaking. Hello? 43rd Precinct, Sergeant Martin speaking. Police Department, Sergeant Martin speaking. Hello? Hello? Uh, Police
2: Department? Oh, I'm sorry. Must have gotten the wrong number. Don't worry. Everything's okay.
1: You are listening to Reimagined Radio and our tribute to Lucille Fletcher, the greatest woman radio storyteller we've ever known. You heard The Voices performing Fletcher's best-known radio dramas, The Hitchhiker earlier in the program, and just now Fletcher's classic radio thriller, Sorry, Wrong Number. You heard Patricia Blim as Mrs. Stevenson, Jody Lorimer as the operator, Mark Rose as the man on the telephone, Sam A. Mowry as George, Jeff Pollard as Sergeant Martin, and Miranda Markey as the nurse. Excellent radio stories, like those by Lucille Fletcher, showcase skilled use of dialogue, sounds, music, and imagination. For our next episode, we'll have dialogue.
3: Let this conqueror come. Show him no hindrance. Suffer his flag and his drum. Words win!
1: We'll have sounds. We'll have music. And we'll combine them all with imagination. He marches with rattled metal. He tramples his shadow. He mounts by the pyramid, stamps on the stairway turns his arm rises that's an indication of our upcoming episode we combine jack j ward's great day for a war and archibald Macleish's the fall of the city to provide commentary on current events and the effort required by freedom we plan a reimagined performance by the voices this episode of reimagined radio was a tribute to lucille fletcher women's history month and women everywhere. Script adaptations and dramaturgy by John Barber. Music composition, sound design, and post-production by Mark Rose of Fuse. Our presence on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram is provided by Regina Carroll Social Media Management. Graphic design by Holly Slocum Design. Our announcer is Jack Armstrong. This is John Barber, producer and host. Thank you for listening.
4: This has been a production of Reimagined Radio. Our radio broadcasts are heard on local, regional, and international community radio stations. For on-demand streaming, point your browsers to our website, Reimagined Radio, that's all one word, no punctuation, dot net. While you're there, subscribe to our snappy email program guide. Thank you so much for listening. And please join us again for another episode of Reimagined Radio, where we'll continue our exploration of radio storytelling. I'm Jack Ward from the Mutual Audio Network. This week, Canada, England and the entire Commonwealth mourns the loss of the world's longest-serving queen, Elizabeth II, known throughout the world as Elizabeth the Great. Whether you yourself are a monarchist or a friend of someone from the Commonwealth, please take a moment to consider and respect their loss as she makes her final ride this upcoming week. Thank you.